Well, are you glad to be in church today? Can we give the Lord a thank you? All right, man, me too, me too. I want to introduce you to some really special men up here on the platform. Number one is Charles Wolford, who is our church planter for New York City. So would you give it up for Charles right here? You're going to be hearing a lot from him over this next several weeks and a couple of months. He'll be preaching very soon, and you're going to be hearing a lot more from him. But we also have one, uh, Kwok, here from New York City. So give him some Texas love uh, right now. Right. I love Texas. One, <laughs> uh, you are the missionary through the North American Mission Board that we're partnering with to plant this church uh, in New York City. And you're a resident there, lived there many, many years. And so I want you to tell us, because all we see is what's on the news. What's the heart of the city like? What is New York City like right now? Um. New York's experiencing a lot of loss. I'm sure you all know New York City uh, not too long ago was the epicenter, and thank God we're no longer the epicenter, but um, everyone's experiencing it, obviously. Uh, but we've suffered a lot of loss of life, uh, loss of loved ones, uh, family members, and friends. Uh, so that much is true, and it's, it's sad. Um, we've also, I'm going to be, I'm not going to candy coat it, we've also lost a lot of New Yorkers. People are leaving New York. That much is also true. So there's a lot of loss. Uh, the measures that they took, very strict lockdowns and, and uh, uh, restrictions, uh, has led to a loss of just in-person community, uh, a lot of loss of jobs and finances and um, Notwithstanding all that loss, there, there's a deeper loss that New York City is experiencing, and it's the loss of uh, this existential loss of, of identity. It's almost like the, the soul of New York has been stripped away as, it's, as Broadway has been closed down, as uh, schools have been shut down, um, as sports teams have not been able to, to be playing in the stadiums. So um, there's, there's just that kind of, of mood going on. And, and in, in the last couple of days, there's been elation and celebration in the city's, city of New York because the loss that they're experiencing, they're trying to regain that loss of identity through uh, a president-elect. Um, and whatever side you're on, um, you're not going to find your, your, your true identity in that. You're going to find it in Christ Jesus. And so that's what New York City needs right now, the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. So we're planting in Hamilton Heights. And could you describe where Hamilton Heights is and a little bit about the city? I think we've got a map up here that uh, kind of points to where it is. Yes, Hamilton Heights is on the upper, upper west side of the island of Manhattan. Um, right below it, it's, it's the green section, uh, is, is Harlem. And um, it, it encompasses an area of about 20 city blocks from 135th to 155th on the north side. Central Park would be just directly below uh, what you don't see, uh, what you see actually. And it's um, 50,000 people in that, you know, um, that, 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 that rectangular block up there. Uh, as per square mile, it's 110,000 people. It's just uh, very, very diverse. You've got brown, black, Latino, Hispanic, Asian American, white, Jewish. Um, I mean, you name it, we've got it. Socioeconomically, it's very diverse. Um, educationally, it's also very diverse. It is, it is just a prime, prime location to be planting a church because there, there is very little gospel witness in that area. Um, one, one thing I, I like to remark, it's, it's 
kind of a little further behind in the gentrification kind of spectrum. So as folks are moving in um, and, and kind of changing the neighborhood, there's struggles, there, there is um, conflict going on, and, and that is a perfect opportunity for a church that brings the gospel of reconciliation, the gospel that tears down barriers. Um, it's just a prime, prime spot to be planning a church, and so I'm really excited for what Colleyville's doing with uh, this brother right here. So, uh, thinking about that and, and what's happening, have you seen God at work in the city uh, recently? Absolutely. Um, without sounding insensitive, uh, you don't want to waste the pandemic. And um, the, the, the planters and the pastors um, in the North, um, our denomination, and the North American Mission Board, they are doing incredible work. There's one planter out in Queens who um, is doing a work in, in Ridgewood, Queens. He's a, a Romanian immigrant. He came to the States about five years ago, and he was brought in to, to, be, to serve as the associate pastor of an immigrant church. Well, in the past five years, the, the, the face of the church has been changing. The, the Romanians are moving north, south, east, and west, and yet the community still is there to be ministered to. This man, Emmanuel, basically prayed along with his wife and, and said, you know, do I go out uh, and leave the community or do I stay here with a new vision? He decided to stay. So he's replanting this church. And these past few months, he's been um, reaching the community by literally feeding the community with food, but also with the gospel, preaching word and deed. And he has struck up an incredible relationship with the local police precinct and the captain of that precinct, who's an African-American woman. And so he's bringing all these people together and, and just serving that community with, again, needs, felt needs, but with the gospel. And we're seeing remarkable, powerful work going on there. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Charles, this man just got married. He's two weeks into his marriage. Just got married. Come on. He is in residency here at, through the Cross Creek Network, training him to be a church planter. We will be launching you in January, you and your sweet wife, Jordan, uh, to be a part and building a team around you there where the residency will continue until the fall when you launch of 2021. Uh, a lot going on in your life. Uh, so how can we be praying for you during this season of your life? Thank you, Pastor. Um, and once again, I just want to thank uh, the first Colleyville family for welcoming me in. A lot of you I'm just meeting, but everyone has been so welcoming, and I feel like family already. So thank you guys for that. Um, I can only uh, ask for two, two prayers. Um, um, these next few months, we're going to be sharing our vision with a lot of people, and you'll be hearing a lot from me and, of course, Chad and your pastor about what God is getting ready to do in New York. I'm just praying that God would touch the hearts of people who um, are able to be generous and uh, help us out and partner in what God is getting ready to do. So that's the first prayer. Uh, the second prayer is let's just go ahead and pray in advance for what God is going to do in New York. Um, I believe that God is about to do something similar to what Christ did in uh, John 11 when he heard someone he loved was ill, you know, Lazarus. And um, by the time he entered into the situation, it looked like it was a dead situation. Uh, we've been in New York and a lot of people have lost hope and they feel like it's a dead situation. But when Jesus entered in, he had to remind them that I am the resurrection and yes. I am the life. And yes. even when something looks dead, when I come in, life is still possible. Amen. So we're excited about what God is going to do. And I'm, I'm excited to meet all of you and for you to support and pray for us along the way. So thank you so much. Amen. Well, you're going to be hearing a lot more from Chad. Absolutely. Celebrate. Celebrate that. 
We're going to be hearing a lot more from Charles over the next uh, several weeks uh, as he preaches and shares more of his heart. Uh, so we want to stop right now, though, and pray together. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your grace and your kindness. Lord, thank you that even in the hardship that New York City is facing, Lord, we believe that you are just breaking up fallow ground. You're just breaking up hard ground through tragedy, through hardship, through crisis, that God, you are, you're softening the soil for the planting of the gospel. And Lord, we believe that it's on your heart that all men would be saved, that all women would be saved, and that God, we're asking for you not only to bless this church plan and to use it for your glory, but that God, you bring about a spiritual awakening in the city that people in the future would think back on, would look back on and talk about that great awakening right after the pandemic when God moved in a powerful way. God, we, we pray for that. We want to be a part of that. So Lord, we ask that you strengthen these men to the work that is before them and bless them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank them one more time, church family. All right. All right. Well, you know, when we talk about God's stories, how God is moving, we, we love to hear stories, right? We love to hear stories. Uh, every great movie is a great story. Every great play is a great story. And stories just motivate us and move us and impact us and, and touch us in, in, emotional, in an emotional way. But really the best stories are the God stories. The best stories are the stories when God is moving and you see it and you hear about it and people tell you what God has done in their life. The God stories are the powerful stories. And of course, the Bible is full of God stories. Um, but what we're going to talk about in this series called Legacy is how to leave a spiritual legacy both in your family and as a church. And listen, if you are going to leave a spiritual legacy to your children, if you're going to leave a spiritual legacy to your grandchildren, if we as a church are going to leave a spiritual legacy through church plants, then it's going to begin with God's stories, all right? And I want to show you why that's so important. I want you to get your Bible out. I want you to open it up to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4 is where we're going to be landing uh, this morning. Let me just kind of set up the stage for what we're about to read. God had spoken to a man named Abraham, and he gave him a promise that he was going to raise up through Abraham a mighty nation, and that he would bring that people to a land that God promised him, the promised land of Israel. And so sure enough, that's exactly what happened, that the descendants of Abraham went into Egypt in a drought, looking for help. And through there, they began to multiply and grow and multiply and grow. And they have an estimate now of over 2 million Israelites that were in bondage there in Egypt. And God brought a man named Moses. And Moses was a, a man of God that led them out of bondage in Egypt through the wilderness and up to the point where they were about to go into this land that God had promised them. Now, at this point, Moses had died and Joshua was the new leader. And so God uh, has all these people on one side, on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River. They know that crossing over, they're going to step into God's promise. But they also know crossing over means they're going to face battles. And they're going to fight entrenched people groups. And, and they were not really equipped. They were not really a battle trained. But this was a real step of faith. It was a defining moment for the nation of Israel. And so God chose to bring a miracle uh, 
uh, to do a miracle, so to remind them of his great power. And so what he, what he did, God told Joshua to take the priest and for those priests to put the Ark of the Covenant, that, that tangible representative of God, to put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and to wade out into the Jordan River, which was now at flood stage, about a mile wide. And as they waded into the, flood, into the water, that God was going to move. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. When they, those priests carried that Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River, God did a miracle that he stopped up the water just north of there and the, and the water subsided and, and dried out and, the, and those two and a half million people walked over the Jordan River on dry ground. Now let me tell you something. This is the passage where preachers love to preach, right? We love to talk about the water parting. We love to talk about God moving. We love to talk about steps of faith. We love to talk about all that. Man, that is good, good preaching right there, all right? But that's not where I want to be today. I want to talk to you about what happened after they crossed over and something that may have missed your attention, but is the secret to passing on a spiritual legacy. So let's look at it. Joshua chapter four, uh, beginning at verse one. This is the word of God. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua. Choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests were standing, carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. Now run your finger down to verse 19. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limit of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, in the future when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones, you should tell your children Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and so that you may also fear the Lord your God. Now stop right there. God told Joshua to take 12 men, take up these 12 stones and to carry them with them. And they did that. They took the stones to Gilgal. They put these stones in some kind of pile, some kind of formation as a monument. Now, I want you to understand that the stones themselves were not that important. They were just rocks. But the story behind the stones was what was important, right? The stones were just stones. I mean, anybody just can look at them and go, okay, what's that? It's a pile of rocks. But the story about how those stones got there is what was important. The story of God's power, the story of God moving, the story of God doing something miraculous. That is a God story. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you want to leave a spiritual legacy in your family, you're going to have to tell God stories. You're going to have to tell stories of when God showed up, when God was powerful in your life, when God saved you, when God provided for you, when you didn't have uh, the resources, when you prayed and you went to the mailbox and there was a check in the mailbox, or a time when you prayed, you were sick and God intervened and healed you, a time when God uh, strengthened your marriage or provide, protected you from the, some dangerous situation. We have God's stories. 
and listen, it's important to share those stories with those in our family if we want to pass on a spiritual legacy. And here's why. Because God's stories produce great faith, right? When, when you hear them, you're motivated. When you hear God's story, you're like, man, I wish God would do that in my life. I want to pray harder like they prayed. I want to trust God like they trusted him. And God's stories always produce great faith and great confidence in God. They inspire us. They motivate us. They challenge us. They embolden us. So who are we to tell these God stories to? Who are you to tell God stories to if you want to produce a spiritual legacy? Let me give you a, a, a couple of people that need to hear God's stories. The first one is you need to tell them to your children. Look at verse 21. In the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You tell your children that Israel Jordan, crossed the Jordan on dry ground. It's your children that need to hear your God stories. Now that kind of goes without saying, but I want you to, I want you to hear me. It's your children that need to hear your God stories from you. Yes, it is great to bring your kids to church. We want you to bring your kids to church. We, we provide a facility. We provided teachers. We provided curriculum. We want it to be an amazing time. But listen, if you're expecting the one hour we get with your kids to produce a spiritual legacy in your children, you may be disappointed. Why? Because it is a responsibility of parents to tell your children your God stories. And so many parents are around, well, the church will kind of tell them the Bible stories, but what they need to hear is your story. How did God move in your life? What is God doing in your life? And listen, sometimes these stories aren't just things that happened way in the past. Maybe they are. I remember when I was young and God did this. I remember when I got saved and God did this. That's wonderful. But sometimes these God stories are very current. Hey, guess what? I was praying about this and this happened. Uh, we, were, we were praying for God to intervene in this way and this is what happened. Here's a spiritual conversation that I just had last week. And as you share these God stories, it stirs up faith in your children. You cannot start too early telling your children your God stories. So they are for, number one, your children. The second group that needs to hear God stories are the people who don't know God. Uh, look at verse 24. He says, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty. Now, I want you to underline all the peoples of the earth. These are people that don't know God. And just like the uh, people in Jericho, they could actually see this massive crowd of 2.5 million people crossing over the Jordan River. They could see it. I've been there. There's nothing but a flat plain, all right? And they could see it. And that's why they knew that when God brought them to march around their city, they were in trouble, right? Because they had heard of what God had done. The story had already gone out. Now, listen, your story, your God's stories, what God has done in your life, is probably the most powerful evangelistic tool that you have. You know, people can refute your arguments, they can refute your, uh, your faith claims, but they cannot refute your testimony of what God has done in your life. And, and when you say, I was an angry person and God gave me a heart of love, when I, I was anxious and worried and God gave me great peace, our marriage was on the rocks and God restored our marriage. When I was only thinking for myself and God showed me a greater purpose in life, when you share those kind of stories, it gets people's attention. 
You know, people may want to argue with you. It's kind of like that young man in, in John 9 when they were asking, what do you think about Jesus and is he the son of God or not? And he said, I don't know if he is or not. All I know is I once was blind and now I see, right? That is a God story. And let me tell you what, when you share your God stories with the people that you work with, with the people that you live next to, with your lost family member, when you, with your lost friend, all of a sudden God's going to use that God story to advance the gospel in their hearts. So God stories are not only for your children, they're also for people that do not know the Lord yet, but that desperately need to know the Lord. But there's one more, I don't want you to miss this one, who's God's story for? Who needs to hear God's stories? And that is, God's stories are for you. They're for you. Look at verse 24. So that you may always fear the Lord, your God. They're for you. You see, God's stories are the way we remind ourselves what God has done. Do you know we quickly forget what God has done, right? I mean, God may have provided for you in the past, and now you're so worried about God's provision, right? God has protected you in the past, and yet you're so worried. Is God going to protect you now? And, and so we remind ourselves, and we stir up our own faith as we remember the God stories. By the way, you know it's okay to talk to yourself, right? It's okay to talk to yourself. As long as you don't answer yourself, it's okay to talk to yourself and say, self, why are you so worried? Don't you remember what God did back then? Don't you remember how God provided? Don't you remember the God stories of the past? Then don't you believe that if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he will take care of you now? We, we have to remind ourselves. And he said that these are for you so that you will always fear the Lord your God. What does he mean by fearing the Lord your God? You know, we fear a lot of things. We fear uncertainty. We fear failure. We feel rejection. We fear the unknown. We fear a lot of things. But he said, we need to always fear the Lord. What does that mean? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that there are two ways that you can understand fear. He said the first one is the fear of a prisoner to his tormentor. That every time he hears the footsteps coming or the keys rattling, he's afraid because of what is coming, pending doom, punishment, hardship, suffering, right? That's fear. But he said there's also another fear. He actually used a Latin phrase, which means family. And what he meant was this, a, a loving child that with a loving parent, there are, even though they love one another, that child has a sense of respect for that parent and does not want to let that parent down, doesn't want to disappoint that parent. And so because of that, that causes that child to live obediently to the parent. And Luther said, that's the kind of fear that he's talking about. It's a fear that says, God, because you love me, God, because you care for me, and God, because I love you, I don't want to do one thing that would ever cause you to be disappointed. I don't want to do one thing that would grieve your heart, God. I would just want to be obedient to you. And he said, when you remember all the things that God has done, then it should motivate you to trust God and obey God. Look at all the things that God has done, all the way God's provided, all the way God's protected, all the things that God has done. Now, because of that, I want to trust God and I want to obey God and I want to fear God in a healthy way and let him use me today. Now, these three groups of people are important. They need to hear these God stories. 
So how do you share or where maybe do you share these God stories? Well, uh, one place you share them is obviously in your family. You need to share your God stories in your family. I grew up in a family of believers and they would regularly share God stories with me of how they were saved, uh, things that happened on a mission trip, spiritual conversation they would have. That was just a normal part of our conversation. Sharing it with your family. And by the way, you can do this around the kitchen table. This can happen when you're in the car. This can happen as you're on the phone with your kids. Hey, let me tell you what I just saw God do. And as you, as you tell these God stories, then, then you're sharing them in your family, stirring up faith. You know, Liz and I worked really hard, especially when our girls were little, to share with them God stories of how God's at work. Every time I'd come home from a mission trip, they'd say, Daddy, tell us, tell us the God stories. And I'd tell them what God did. And their eyes would get big, and they couldn't wait till they got older. And I would say, when God, when God just as God has led me and as God worked through me, God's going to do that through you. When you get old enough, God's going to work through you. I can remember just trying to instill in them at a young age, look for the God stories. Even now, as they're older, I'm saying, hey, where's God at work? What do you see God doing? How's God? And let's celebrate that together. Listen, that's how you create a spiritual legacy that is passed on. It happens in your family. But God stories also need to happen in our church family. It needs to happen right here with us. That's why we have connect groups where we get together and we share our struggles. Yes, but we also share the God stories of how God is at work. That's why uh, we, we have times where you'll see video of people that share their testimony, things that happen in their life, because we want everyone to be encouraged. But listen to me. The way a church has a spiritual legacy is primarily through disciple making and church planting. That's how we have a legacy. The way you have a legacy with your family is you have kids and you pass on that legacy through their children. The way churches have a legacy is they pass it on through the churches that they birth and disciples that they make that will continue to reproduce long after the parent is already gone. You understand? That's how, and how tragic it is. I see churches all the time. They had a great ministry at one point. Now they're just a shell of a building. And you know why? Because they were only focused on that one church location and they never produced children that would bear fruit and multiply and be their lasting legacy. The way we do it is through disciple making and church planting. And that's why uh, God has called us to this vision of planting churches. Now, I just wanna give you a little update as to how things are going with regard to our legacy, okay? Uh, uh, roughly about two years ago, a little less than two years ago, we came to our church and we said, God has put on our heart a great vision that we think is way beyond what we can actually do. We're really stretching out here. We're really walking in faith, but we believe that God's called us to it. And that was to plant nine churches in the next five years, all right? And we're like, man, I don't know. That's, that's gonna be way out of our league, man. I don't know if that can happen, but nine churches, not just here, but around the world in the next five years. How in the world could that happen? But we had a vision and we started a thing called the Cross Creek Network. And that was a network where we we're gonna we start a residency. We're gonna train up pastors and we're gonna send them out. And that's what we're gonna do. And we didn't know how to do it, but we were just trusting God for it. And so let me give you an update as to what's happened. Now that was roughly a little less than two years ago, right? Nine churches in the next five years. Now we're two years into it. Let me tell you what's happened. We have planted a church in Montreal, Canada. We have planted a church in Madrid, Spain. We have planted a church in Lusaka, Zambia. 
We have planted a church in uh, Burkina Faso, West Africa, and we just found out a couple of weeks ago that that church in Burkina has now planted another church. So we got a grandbaby. Somebody say amen to that. We got grandchildren. And then not only that, we've got Justin Church Plant that's about to launch in January of 2021. We have New York City that's going to launch in the fall of 2021. And we are launching a church plant in the suburbs of Jerusalem in the fall of 2021. Now, I want you to know God's at work. God is at work. Hey, folks, that's worth celebrating. Come on now. That is worth celebrating. Let me tell you what, all that has happened because you have been willing to give and you have been willing to go. We're raising up church planters. We're training them. We're sending them out. We're planting church. Folks, this is our legacy. How long will this church be here? I don't know. I have no idea. My guess is it's probably not going to last forever. Some few things ever do. But let me tell you what, when we plant churches, the plant churches all over the world, this will be our lasting legacy to the nations and our legacy to God. What we did now has impacted the future generations. See? And so God is at work and every one of those church plants has got a God story. I'm not going to go into all of them, but let me tell you a couple of them. One, Aaron is our church planter in Madrid, Spain. They are suffering under martial law. Spain has been hit terribly with the coronavirus. And he said, though, before the coronavirus, there would be men that would throw the Bible back in his face when he'd talk about Jesus. But he said, uh, now those same people are coming to him and saying, tell me more about who God is. And we've taken the explore study that we wrote here and it's been translated into Spanish. And he said, now I'm sitting across the table from men that were hardened to the gospel. Now I'm walking through the gospel of John and teaching them who Jesus is. And people are coming to faith in Christ in Madrid. That's happening right now. That's a God story. Let me tell you about what's happened with Oscar and Lusaka. Oscar began preaching just under a tarp. In fact, here's a picture of Oscar getting after it, preaching the word under a tarp in Lusaka, all right? And he said as he would preach, people would hear in the street behind him and come under the tarp to see what was going on. He began to lead people to Christ under that blue tarp. He began to disciple people through our Grow series that we have. Many of you have been discipled through the Grow series. He's doing that, raising up leaders. And now in a time of economic disparity, and a hardship in Lusaka, Zambia. They're actually building a physical church building with center blocks and, and he's digging out trenches and they're building a church to the glory of God that's gonna make disciples in Lusaka. Folks, that's a God story. God's at work. Let me tell you one more. One more is Theo. Here's a picture of Theo. Theo uh, is our church planter in Burkina Faso. Uh, Burkina Faso is in West Africa. Burkina went to graduate from Dallas Baptist University, all right? And he is there planting a church. And uh, let me tell you what, they are suffering under the threat, the legitimate threat of Islamic terrorism. If you know anything about Burkina, there's a lot of Islamic hostility there. But they planted a church and they raised up people and God has been moving. And not only that, they are the ones that say, we're going to plant another church. So they are now in the process of planting another church, our grandchild, all right, in a city that is 90% Islamic. 90%. They're one of the only witnesses to Jesus in that city. But they are bold as a lion. And they're taking the gospel with them. Folks, that's our legacy. That's our legacy. Our legacies are not buildings. 
Our legacies are the people that we invest in that will take the gospel where we will never go. And that's where God moves. When we hear these stories, it challenges us. Listen, if our church planters can face martial law and coronavirus and Islamic terrorism and economic downturn, what's our concern? What's our excuse for being bold with the gospel where we live and where we work and where we play? See, God's at work, and I believe we're going to see God on the move more than ever before. This next year, I believe we're going to see God on the move in Justin as we plant that church. We're going to see God on the move in New York City when we trust God and go into that city that desperately needs hope. We're going to see God on the move in Jerusalem as we prayer walk that neighborhood in April and pray for God to create a great church in that place that will hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is on the move, but he's only on the move at the fringes of your comfort zone. You understand that? God's never on the move in the lazy chair, all right? God's never on the move when it's easy. God's on the move on the fringes. And he calls us to be on the fringes. And what motivates us to live like that, what motivates us to live like that are these God stories. To hear stories, we need to tell them to our children. We need to tell them to those that don't know Christ. We need to tell them to each other. We need to stir up our faith to trust God and move forward. Let me tell you uh, just a couple of very practical things to do on how to leverage God's stories, okay? Maybe stir up some creativity in your mind. First one is this, how do I do this in my practical way in my own family? Number one is collect these God stories. You know, collect them intentionally. How are you doing in collecting your God stories, preserving your God stories? How are you doing? Let, Let me just give you some ideas. What if, all right, what if this Thanksgiving, you took some time to go around the table, instead of just praying, everyone told a a way that they've seen God at work in their life this past year. Everyone would be sharing a God story. What if at Christmas time, maybe you gave uh, your family members a piece of paper, give them some time in advance to think about it, and to write down uh, one thing that you've seen God do this past year. And then when you gather to open gifts, before you dive into the gifts, you, you open up the stories and you all tell God's stories of what God has done in your life. What if you kept those pieces of paper year after year after year? You'd have a book of God's stories you could pass on to the next generation. What if you started journaling? And as you journaled, you wrote down your God stories and your journal becomes a place where you collect these stones that tell the story of where God is at work. Just like Joshua collected those stones intentionally, we got to intentionally collect God's stories. And then listen, we've got to share them uh, regularly, early, and often. All right. It says, when your children ask your fa- their fathers, what are the meaning of these stones? Tell them. By the way, dads, this is a great challenge for you. Who is responsible to be the collector and the distributor of God's stories? Well, it says here, they're going to ask the fathers. Dads, you want to know how to leave a spiritual legacy? You want to know how to be a spiritual leader in your home? It can be as simple as telling stories. Telling your stories to your children. Telling your stories to your grandchildren. Telling them over and over and over. Telling new ones, telling old ones. Until you can't speak anymore of what God has done. Listen, God is calling us to live boldly in these days. God's stories stir up our courage. They stir, they motivate us to live boldly. And we're going to have to live boldly. 
uh, this big give, in order for this church plant to really make it, we're going to have to give big to this, to this initiative. Last year, you gave over $700,000 to plant a church in Justin. Now, I, what I want you to understand is this. Not only was that extraordinary generosity, but that amount of money has already paid for their team to go through residency, to provide all the equipment they need, and will sustain them for the next three years until they are independent. That is in the bank. That is what everything that they need. They are well supplied by the grace of God through your gifts to that church plant. But now we turn to New York City and things are more expensive in New York City. You know that. And so it's going to require us, our goal is to raise a million dollars to New York City. Now, folks, you know, I don't talk about money ever throughout the year, but one time a year, and it's, it's in November when I challenge you to give big to this initiative because we're giving not just for ourselves, we're giving for our legacy. We're investing in our legacy and for you to pray and to give generously to this New York City plant. Not only to give to the New York City plant, but also to go to New York City, to get ready to get on a plane and go there and walk with Charles and, and Jordan and be with them and pray over them and help them. Some of you, God may be calling to move to New York City and say, I'm going to move to New York City for a year and I'm going to live there, Charles. I can work remotely. I'm going to live there and I'm going to help you and come alongside you. We need people to live boldly because listen, folks, at the end of your life, you don't want to say, God, I played it safe. I played it safe. I didn't really do anything to really trust you in. That would be a wasted life. What you want to say is, God, I followed you. I remembered what you did in the past. I trusted you with my present. And I lived full out for you. That's what it means. And this is what God's stories motivate us to do. This is our legacy. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You may be here today and you've never really given your life to Christ and um, you don't have any God stories to tell because you can't tell when you were saved. You don't know for sure that you've ever given your life to Christ. You can't tell when God provided or protected you because you've never really seen God at work in your life. But my friends, the good news of the gospel is that when we were sinners and far from God, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. That Christ went to a cross, and on that cross, he paid the full penalty for your sin. He died on that cross, paying in full your sin payment. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he offers new life and change and his spirit to live within you and purpose and assurance of heaven to anyone who will turn to him. And maybe the start of your God story starts now. Maybe today is the day of your first God story when you said, I remember sitting in that church and something that pastor said about God's love for me, Christ's death on the cross for me. And I realized I did not know him. And at that moment, I asked Jesus Christ to come to my life. This could be the beginning of your God story, but you have to say yes to Jesus. So I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right here, right now with your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If God's stirring in your heart right now, you say, man, I, I wanna know Christ. I wanna give my life to Christ. Then with nobody looking around, just lift up your hand. And as you lift up your hand, it just lets me know that God's at work in your heart and I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer of faith. So right now, just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Pastor, pray for me. I wanna, I wanna know Jesus in the way you're talking about. 
All right, thank you, thank you. Pastor, pray for me. I, I wanna be sure that when I die, I go to heaven. I wanna have God's stories to pass on to my children and my children's children. Lift up your hand. All right, thank you, thank you. All right, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? All right, thank you. Then just put your hands down. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. But I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead for me. And I'm asking you now, please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Please make me a new person. Please fill me with your spirit. I want to live my life for you. Lord, use me for your purpose. Father, I just pray for everyone in this room, God. For those that just now raise their hands and pray to receive Christ. For those that maybe have been believers for a long time. Lord, I pray that we would share our God stories. That we would live our life comfortably but we live it boldly. That we would not shrink back in this moment of opportunity, but step forward in it. And Father, I pray that this church would leave a legacy through churches planted and scattered all over the globe that are making disciples, that make disciples, that are planting churches, that are planting churches. And that Lord, we'd be faithful to do that until you return. Lord, I pray that you go before us this week, that we be people that boldly share our God stories with our children, with our lost friends. Remind our own selves so that we can live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Can we thank the Lord for his word uh, today?